One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home. They never got home. They never got home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. It's the Irish Times second captain's football podcast. The seething atmosphere in Glasgow over the weekend was incredible to watch on TV. One of the truly great football occasions. Ken Early was there. Ken. Just how incredible was Rangers versus Alabama Athletic at Ibrox? <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. I had so much fun sitting there. I don't think I don't think a lot of people who were at the game would say the same as I'm saying to you now. I don't think they had a lot of fun. Me, I was a neutral, so uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed a lot of the game. I enjoyed the experience of being there in the Copland stand at Ibrox. The Copland is if you're watching a game at. Ibrox on television, the stand to your right. That will be the stand that Rangers are attacking in the second half if they win the toss. Um, full of Rangers supporters, uh, all of whom were, let's say, disgruntled and discombobulated <laughs> pretty much from the outset as their, um, by comparison, super expensive team failed to beat Aloha, who are a part-time team that train twice a week and... Uh, were exhausted having played two games and this was their third game in a week. So Rangers are one division below the Scottish Premier League at this stage, aren't they? They are, yeah. They've, they've, they're, they're working their way working their way back to you, babe. Uh, the abuse of the... the just the general um, experience, Ken, of, of watching this team... It's funny because Rangers fans have probably had to get used to it over the last couple of years. They went from just hawking everybody or everybody bar Celtic sometimes in the top league to having to play the likes of Aloha Athletic and not be sure of victory. How did they respond in your experience? Well, this is the thing. It's this is this is the odd thing about Rangers at the moment, and this is why I think the what you find at Ibrox is unique in football, and certainly in British football, of a team which thinks of itself as the biggest club in the world. Right, you've got a community of supporters who literally are one of the, it's one of those clubs that we are obviously we are the biggest club in the world, and unfortunately, they no longer have the team to back up that innate sense of grandeur uh, and arrogance that they have. Uh, so you've got, I mean, against Aloha, it was fifty fifty. You know, I thought 
I think Rangers had a bit more of the ball. But I did go and check the statistics afterwards, and it was 50-50 uh, against Alawa. Right? Alawa are not, are not a, a strong team. You know, but they were they were strutting about uh, at one point in the first half as though they were, I mean they were taking the piss out of Rangers. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was and the fa- the fans were just getting so angry. Um, and you're looking around thinking nobody here is enjoying themselves. But this is the way it's been for years because it's impossible for Rangers supporters to get excited about these games. It's impossible for them to get excited about anything that happens on the field. But it is possible to get angry with almost anything that happens. So it's just this it's very negative experience. Obviously, you don't, you get no credit for beating Alwa, but don't beat them, and it's, you know... Uh, and yet they keep coming back. I mean, there's 30,000 people there. At a quite a fine stadium, Ibrox Ball against. It's a really nice stadium, actually. I mean, it's, you know, it's just a big kind of elegant, quite simply laid out, um, pretty atmospheric stadium. I mean, obviously, this is Alwa, it's... I really wonder what it would be like for an all-from game. I mean, maybe I'll make it there someday, I don't know, for one of those games, uh, which are probably going to be back. Well, there's one of them coming up, I think, in the, in the Cup uh, quite shortly. But you just kind of wonder why they're coming back. I mean, will Ireland get 30,000 people tomorrow night? I doubt it. It might be one of those attendants, 30,000, but not necessarily 30,000 bums on seats, as they say. I don't know. But but then again, Ireland will probably sing. There was no songs. There was literally not a so there was no atmosphere. Song. It sounds like uh, could the players hear what the supporters were saying? Was oh yeah, right? absolutely. You can hear every. So no cheering, no songs, just just individual home of conversation. Chance. And then every so often you hear someone screaming at a player. You know, I, in fairness, down the far end of the stand, the far the, the other stand is the broom loan stand the, or the family stand. They've got a big thing on the top of it. So, uh, and the away section is kind of down there. I think to the right. I mean, there was so few alpha. I was wasn't quite sure, but I, I figured that was where the there was kind of stewards who had marked out an area, and I in which there was virtually nobody. But I figured that must have been Alva. So I was down the far, kind of to the right before as as I was looking at it. I mean, I was kind of behind the goal, but. Uh, there was a little group of ultras there, the Blue Order. I mean, you're talking about a couple of hundred people. And they were, they had a drum and they were singing throughout. But they were so far away and there was so few of them that, you know, usually you'd expect a, a singing group like that would get the spark the rest of the crowd at least a couple of times a game. But literally not a single time. Not even after they scored. I mean, they scored in the 72nd minute, conceded the equaliser in the 78th minute. And from that point on, it was just general rage. You know what I mean? Poor all, and I'm going to, but they keep coming back. There was once a dream that was Rangers' own. Uh, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. It was so fragile. Um, and I fear that it will not survive the winter. Well, actually, I don't fear that it won't survive the winter. I'm pretty sure it'll survive the winter. Um, 30,000 in Division 1 is not a bad crowd, even if it, everybody goes away feeling somewhat dyspeptic. Slightly more raucous at Celtic Park. We're going to chat to Tom English of BBC Scotland and Irishman in Glasgow. Scotland play England at Celtic Park again tomorrow night, actually. So, uh, good days, happy days for them. Anyway, we've got the USA at home ourselves. Of course, Sports Illustrated's Grant Wall is going to be on to chat about that one. You're just back from Martin O'Neill's press conference, Ken. Let's get into that in your report on sport. Yeah, Martin O'Neill today, a kind of a continuation of Roy Keane's press conference earlier. Now, we talked about some elements of that um, in our show earlier on today. And this was when Keane got involved into, uh, well, lost his temper in the in the press conference after somebody asked him a question which suggested after the thing last Wednesday, you know, this incident with a fan at the hotel, um, there was the Celtic stuff that was about June, the Villa, sort of speculation. He obviously ended up taking that job. And then the book and all the publicity surrounding that. 
Um, O'Neill had described this as a distraction, but you know we move on. Do you feel maybe he, he wanted to get Keane's thoughts on whether uh, there had been maybe too many distractions? Roy Keane didn't like that. Didn't like this question. Didn't like. Um, I'm not sure what he didn't like about it, but he, he lost his temper. Um, you know, in a fairly um, emphatic way, I would have thought. You know, it was a. It was. Um, I mean, I've seen it was. It's 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 printed today by most of the papers in uh, transcript form, so people can look at it, and make up their own minds. I'm not sure the transcript quite captures the atmosphere of it. I'm, I've been a little bit surprised, I must say, by the um, the response uh, which I've seen, which is a lot of people saying, "Oh, you know, this is a non-story." I don't really think it's a non-story. Well, actually, I, I do think it's the kind of story that might appear more important to journalists than to football fans. Well, it's you know, it's a case of. You don't often get people sort of losing their cool like that in in press conferences. Audibly, was there, there it was the tone? It was the the was it the Roy Keane slightly higher pitch of voice yeah. that you hear when he gets yeah. somewhat angry? And absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you know, I mean, it was uh, there was no mistaking there was no mistaking what was going. On. You know, he <laughs> I remember he side of him going out, walking out like he just had that angry face on him. I don't know. I kind of the face that he had on him after he had been shouting at Gary. Uh, Gary Breen that time in the Cyprus match, oh, yeah. and he and uh, he's you know what are you doing, Breen? You know the cameras sort of picked him up walking off at halftime. Breen tries to argue, says it doesn't effing matter. He says yeah, to Breen that time, do, yeah. And then and then you know just just the look on Keane's face after the the exchange with Breen has stopped. That was pretty much the one that he had on his face walking out of that press room. I think one of the journalists who he was having this kind of he was directing most of these questions. That's what it took the form of questions from Roy Keane. Um, you know, what do you, you think you've got the right to sit here and, and ask me, get any answer off me? You know, what do you think I can do about this? What do you think I can do about that? Oh, you know Frank, do you? You know Frank, do you? And it's sort of, it was just question after question. It's, it's, Frank being the guy involved in the incident last week. Is that I, thought, I thought it was actually good, a good demonstration of how to, you know, if you are going to have what you might characterize as a verbal joust with someone, this is a good way to, to, uh, to overpower them in that joust. A bar- barrage of questions. Well, obviously, you don't wait to hear any of the answers. <laughs> They're strictly rhetorical, but uh, it's a, it's not a lot of people can uh, can deal with it. Okay, I can only imagine Martin O'Neill was a little fed up, possibly with the media more than Roy Keane, and having to question uh, answer questions about Roy Keane's interactions with the media today <laughs> this afternoon. Well, look, it was in all the papers today, and the main thing of substance that Keane was said in that. 20-minute briefing yesterday. And I'm not talking here about the the loss of temper at the end. I'm talking about before he before that had happened. He had a few things to say about James McCarthy uh, and about Seamus Coleman and Everton. Um, and he, and he, he kicked it off with a, with a comment right at the very start where he said, you know, you think you're getting in, you think you're sort of learning about players, and then, you know, maybe a player misses a game or something, and you, and you think, hmm, you know, maybe I didn't know him as well as I thought I did, you know. So he didn't attach any name to that, but it, you know everyone was kind of thinking, well, wonder who he could be talking about. You know, uh, there's not that many players who missed the game. So it ended up, you know, uh, questions about this McCarthy situation. The situation was, as, as was explained by Martin O'Neill, that he, he he felt a problem in his hamstring, which had been flagged up by Roberto Martinez, his manager at Everton. He went back to Everton, had a scan, everything clear, didn't play. Um, so Keane was being asked about this. Now, remember that in Keane's book, this was one of the big sort of themes, the, the more recent one, his kind of own struggles with Alex Ferguson, who never wanted him playing games for Ireland. Just didn't, you know, 
he would have been quite happy for him never to play a game for Ireland. Um, just couldn't see this. What's in it for me? You know, not a lot. The risk of you getting injured, that's all. Roberto Martinez, I think we can say, has a fairly similar approach. Remember, we did hand back Darren Gibson. Broken. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't, wasn't Martinez at that game? Yeah, he'd come over Oof. to us. Darren Gibson, uh, it was a game against Kazakhstan. I think it was Kazakhstan, yeah. And Gibson, crucial ligament injury. I mean, sorry about that. Eight months. Sorry about that, Roberto. Look, it's maybe next season. It's just one of those things. That's football. You know what I mean, Roberto? Chin up. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so he doesn't want these guys. Now, Keane said, uh, you ask most international managers, it's a difficult role. When a player turns up, he's not 100% fit or struggling. We've had that a number of times with lots of players. It's a big downside of international football. When a player turns up, they're not sure if they're going to be fit. You have to try and be fair to the club, be fair to the player, but you're working for your country. You want to get, try and get the right result. So it's a hard one for James as well. Now, this he says, I think we talk about the manager here and the manager at Everton, but there's a player in between all that. I can speak from experience. He's under lots of pressure. You're hoping the player can make the decision to say, you know, listen, I'll give it a go, whatever it might be, because you can talk all day about x-rays and scans. My goodness. Um... And so then he was asked, do you have any qualms about the fact that he kind of sat out the uh, Scotland game, particularly the Scotland game, you know, didn't play, even clear as can and all. And, and Keane's kind of, hmm, thought about that one for a while. No. He says, I wonder that he's under lots of pressure, particularly from Everton's point of view, because every time there's an international match, it does seem to be Je- Seamus and James under lots of pressure, or they're turning up, or they mightn't turn up, or they're struggling. And obviously Everton, Martin, Roberto Martinez is going to try and look after Everton. That's only natural. So there has to be some sort of, I think, sit-down conversation and say, listen, I think Martin's been more than good enough here, with particularly the friendlies. These are big qualifying matches now, and you're just looking for a bit of fairness and to get the balance right. So uh, he says, uh, so the question then was, you'd like James to be a bit more assertive? You know, to, to Roberto Martinez. Um, that's another one that... Keen considered the uh, answer to quite carefully. He says, well, if it carries on for the next year or two, it will put a lot of pressure on James, which is unfair on the player as well. If he's not fit, he's not fit. I don't think Martin's had a problem, ever had a problem with that. But if players turn up, it's touch and go, and scans are clear, and, you know. But there's constantly pressure from the club, because I guarantee when a player turns up for us, they're getting phone calls left, right, and centre from their 15 physios at their club. You know, it's not one physio involved. You've got 15 of them. Um, then he went on to say, but the way Everton talk about it sometimes is like, you know, James and Seamus can't walk. They can barely walk. And then you see them walking around in the hotel reception and you think, oh, they can walk. Praise the Lord. It's a miracle. So it's clear what he's saying. And then he threw in another little one, which was, uh, I don't think Roberto's ever played at senior international level. So maybe he doesn't realise how important these games are for us. You know, if there was a follow-up question there about Roberto Martinez's career, Keane would have had every fact and figure for it as well. <laughs> yeah. He actually did feature in the under-17s, of course. <laughs> I'll have that one ready just in case they ever have a confrontation with the man. The thing is that, that uh, uh, Keane and Martinez, as far as I know, are actually quite good pals. I mean, in the sense that I mean, Roy Keane makes it quite clear he's not a, he's not a pally-wally kind of guy. You know, I don't know if Roberto Martinez has ever been back in his house, you know, pounding a few beers and, and you know, playing, playing pool or whatever. I, I don't know if that's happened. I don't think they're that close. But, you know, they, they were guys who, who got on. Martinez, obviously, outside the orbit, maybe, of that Ferguson, Allardyce, Moyes, you know, that, that, <clears throat> that sort of core grouping there. Um, but uh, here's the, the, other, the other thing, just before we start hearing from O'Neill, yeah. who's responding to this, is what Bill Kenwright has had to say... Um, Bill Kenwright, the Everton chairman. And theatre empresario. Theatre empresario. You never hear him reference as anything other than Everton chairman and theatre empresario. Blood Brothers, wasn't it, was his, was his big uh, 
his big earner back in the day. I want to be an impresario well, in, be, in anything. It's a great, it's a great job. And I mean, he's an emotional man. I've seen him in the stands at Goodison, um, you know, shedding tears of of joy, salt tears of joy at, at Everton's uh, Everton triumphs. But he says, "I'm a big fan of Roy Keane," but. He does say some stupid things. This is totally, totally unfair. We absolutely love our players going into international duty, and we never ever get in the way of them, and Roberto Martinez will be as shocked as everyone at Everton. I am shocked, shocked to find that there's gambling going on in this uh, gin joint, as the guy says, I think, in Casablanca. I don't know how shocked Roberto Martinez is going to be, because this is like, this is the game, you know? Everyone knows. The interests of Martin O'Neill and Roberto Martinez are diametrically opposed you know, Martinez does not want his players playing in these games. Richie he wants Sadler, them to rest. Richie Sadler wrote a piece yesterday in the Sun Independent. I think it was yesterday's paper. And he said, um, you know, the, his club manager, when he first got called up to the Ireland team, could have even been underage or possibly it was uh, it was senior international. He's called up and the manager's asked about it at a press conference. He goes, oh, it's amazing for Richie. You know, what a great lad. And this is just going to be brilliant for him. Proud Irishman. He's mm. representing his country. It's going to bring on his football as well. So it's actually good for us. Yeah. It's really Top good for us. Top of the morning to Richie Sadler. <laughs> yeah. And then Richie Sadler, uh, the next day, is finishing training and seeing his coach for the last time before heading off to the Irish camp. He goes, I'm just going off now. And the manager says, having not congratulated him in person or anything, just says, uh, don't, don't, dare get, don't come back to me injured. Don't effing come back to me injured, yeah. basically. In other words, I really don't watch going, but yeah. you're playing. Uh, I really just only hope that you don't get injured and, and anything besides I that, hope so. I don't get injured too, and I'm glad. You know what else I'm glad about? That my contract is cast iron and you have to pay me anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't know if any player has ever has ever answered a manager back like that, but you know, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate the way people do this, but everyone's trying to gain an edge for themselves. Now, Martin O'Neill today, earlier on this afternoon, this uh, quickly came up, what Roy Keane had to say about everyone, because I'm sure, you know, as you can hear from Ken Wright, he didn't like that. Roberto Martinez puts him under pressure now, puts the whole situation under a bit of focus. Was that the way? So, okay, this is this is what O'Neill's asked, and this was from by the man from Sky Sports to begin with. Essentially, what do you think of what Roy Keane said about the whole James McCarthy, Roberto Martinez thing? Well, I first of all, I haven't picked up on Roy's comments. I don't, uh, I, I don't follow him around, and uh, I haven't had the chance to read what he what he has said. Um, but um, uh, from my own perspective regardless of what uh, Roy has said. I think that the, I think the situation was this, that um, way back we, um, we had, um, with the, um, let me put it this way, two lads weren't fit for the game against, uh, against Gibraltar or Germany and obviously played a couple of days later. That's, that's understandable. I'd spoken to, um, I'd spoken to Seamus and uh, James just wasn't right. I didn't speak to James at the time, but James had been... There was a thought that he might have played against Manchester United uh, then, but didn't uh, didn't do so. I hadn't really a problem with that. Didn't really have a problem with that at all. It was just that um, this particular time, uh, James does have a muscle injury. He came here, he was wanting to try it, he was really wanting to give it a go. We always thought that time would be against us. I think he'll be perfectly all right to play uh, at the weekend for his club. And um, and really, there isn't, isn't much more I can say about it. So if there's no problem between club and country, are these comments unhelpful in terms of that relationship? I, every single time that, I'm, I, I, I've, uh, that you mention Roy, it either seems to be 
a distraction? Is this, a, is this another issue? Let me, let me tell you straight out. I'm delighted to have him. I brought, I chose him in. I chose him in the first place to bring him in here. He's been terrific. He's really been terrific. He's been terrific around the lads. He's been great. He's been everything that I wanted it to be. And all the distractions and things. Some things, some things materialise that are actually aren't, aren't of his doing to begin with. So I haven't a problem. He's got a mind of his own. He'll say what he wants. And again, unless it's absolutely and utterly in contradiction with what I'm saying to you, then I do not have a problem with it. It is not an issue all the time. You know? So, no, I disagree with you entirely. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of interesting things there. One thing to note is, I think, did you, you heard when Martin O'Neill was, was composing that first answer in his head, how careful he was being. He was thinking quite carefully about it. He, he, he says, mm, well, I'd say, yeah, mm, uh, well, yeah. Well, let me put it this way. You know what I mean? He's he's thinking, okay, this is a slightly sensitive area. I've got to be careful what I say. Roy Keane, a lot more fluent in those situations. He comes out with it. Um, you know what I mean? After maybe, he might initially pause for talk, then he's decided what he's going Once to say. Once he's talking, he talks. <laughs> uh, whereas O'Neill there is being a little bit more... Choosing his uh, choosing his words carefully, which would generally seem to be the way that he does these things in, in terms of dealing with club managers. It's something he's talked about a lot. Uh, he actually said today, "I am a club manager." Then he then he corrected himself and said, "I was a club manager." Uh, uh, and he didn't like, I don't think, when international managers would say stuff, drag him into stuff publicly. He liked to do it quietly. Um, and I think that's that's generally his approach. So Keane obviously made this public. Now the question. Now I assumed, I assumed when I heard Keane doing that. I mean, he'd mentioned, you know, we went out for a meal Saturday night. You know, it's fine. He was. This is when he was saying it's, it's okay. We can walk around Dublin. We don't, we're not One Direction. Um, I assumed that maybe this this subject of his. He, he, I'm doing the media press conference tomorrow. Is there anything? You know, certain things are likely to come up. For instance, the McCarthy thing is obviously going to be asked about. Clearly, you know, there's there's no doubt about that. Is there anything that we want to say? I mean, Everton, I'm sure the Irish management have certain views. And I mean, in Keane's view, Everton are putting him under a bit of pressure. Or, you know, physios are onto him. Oh, are you sure your hamstring's okay? You know what I mean? Do they, they don't obviously settle on a line. But again, is this not reading too, is this not placing too much importance on the media message they're trying to get out? I mean, you're suggesting something like, something from the West Wing where, the entire communications team has sat around there. You've obviously got the vice president involved. This is pretty big stuff. Well, it is. It is big stuff. Just by just look around the country. Where else do you get that many journalists in a room? But uh, but Keane's point is, and the Kenny's doing press conferences with a lot less journalists than that. You know what I mean? This is uh, this is actually quite me in, in media terms. I mean, that's what's one of the big parts of the job now. You know, and I mean, the problem is if you if you have all these sort of sort of conflicting messages. It, it, it obviously makes people think, well, hang on a second. Do these, do these guys even talk to each other? O'Neill's point there is that he's been terrific. Terrific on the field, terrific with the players, and that's what matters, as opposed to the distractions or the negative the, the negative slant to some of the coverage that follows Keane around. No, that, absolutely, that's fine. But now, okay, that, that's absolutely fine. And, and, I, and I totally accept that. And I have absolutely no no uh, qualms about accepting that. You know, it's, it's not like I've heard, you know, oh, he's not doing it in the training ground or anything. I'm sure that he is doing a good job in, no, in those senses. But, you know, something like yesterday, uh, to publicly put pressure on Everton, to publicly put pressure on Roberto Martinez, um, 
It's a big deal in football terms. It is. It, it is absolutely. Because you're, compar- you're comparing it to the, to, the, to the Taoiseach there and all the rest. We are talking about football. I know, absolutely. But, you know, in terms of, there's, there's, there is a lot of media interest in this, right? And you can expect the things that you say to be picked apart and to be examined and sort of, well, hang on a second, this doesn't quite and match with this. And then potentially affect your relationship with what Roy Keane there, what Roy Keane said earlier on, uh, potentially affects the Irish relationship with Everton, clearly, because Bill Kenwright has come out earlier. So it does become yeah. more than just a... And then you've got, you've got, I mean, O'Neill said there, you know, look, essentially Roy's a big boy. I don't follow him around. He's got his own mind. He's, he can speak his own mind. Uh, and unless it's totally contradicting what I'm saying, I don't have a problem. But, you know, what about, what about a situation like this? I mean, to ha- how far should that situation go? Is Roy, does Roy Keane have a free, ha- have kind of carte blanche to say what he likes? What if they don't necessarily... What if he says something O'Neill doesn't agree with, you know? O'Neill, maybe maybe it's not a public disagreement, but maybe he's kind of thinking, I wish he, you know, I wish he hadn't gone there. Now, I'm, I'm putting this as a hypothetical. That's why I think if you're going to be doing press conferences to rooms full of journalists, it's helpful sometimes to agree on basic things that you want to talk about. Now, from what O'Neill's saying there, it seems as though maybe that isn't happening. You know, and, and O'Neill also claimed that he, he didn't... He hadn't followed any of Keane's quotes today, which, you know, he's... <laughs> To be honest, uh, I would have expected that he would he he would be familiar with, with what was in all the newspapers today. But he said, "Look, you you may not believe this, but I it's not actually my job to read the newspapers. I've, I do have other things on my plate. So, you know, I'll go and read the read your newspapers and see what's see what's been said, and, and then I'll form a view. You know, he he didn't want to form a he didn't want to put forward any kind of a idea. He spoke about Jack Grealish as well. This is also something that came from Roy Keane originally. Yeah, yeah. So so here you go. Uh, what Keane had said about Grealish, uh, this was just a small thing that had come up in the uh, in in the in the press conference on Sunday. Was you know what about. What about that old Jack Grealish? So the message on Friday was three shamrock emojis again. I think it was three. I think it was three the last time. And it's three again this time. I mean, the, the emojis weren't referenced. That's just some context. He did tweet, come on, you boys in green. Six or three shamrock emojis, just as I remember about to kick off at Celtic Park. I'd be hoping for four. I'd be hoping for at least one extra emoji. A trend or like, you know, a doubling of the previous. Yes. Or even just a full you know, 140 emojis. Or just, I declare for Ireland. And they're not even... Here on Twitter. They're not even... Yeah. Declare for Ireland the best possible news to get. Well, Looking forward to joining the lads in their next game against USA on Tuesday night. Everybody apart from the wingers, I think, and that's brilliant. <laughs> but uh, Keane just said, I don't ask Jack anymore. In that kind of tone. And... Uh, and so I said, oh, really? really? Oh, yeah, why's that? Um, sometimes respect. You know, you don't want to pester people. But unfortunately, a lot of it would be coming from Jack's dad. Knowing his dad, we could be waiting a bloody long while, <laughs> said Keane, in that sort of tone, right? Yeah. Waiting a bloody long while. Bit of a, bit of a joke. Yeah, but, I thought... But with, with an edge? I thought so. Yeah, a little bit. So this came up again today. And essentially, the, the question was being asked by, let's call him Journalist Q. Uh was asking a question to Martin O'Neill based on this. Uh, I'm not sure if... if uh, essentially, was Roy Keane's comment about Jack Grealish helpful? Jack Grealish's dad. What do you, what do you mean by helpful? Helpful for what? Um, well, well Hel- it's helpful to what? Of, of, uh, spoken, no, no, I've spoken to Jack Grealish's father. I spoke to him at the time, uh, way back some time ago. And his father... Fa- just a second. Just let me finish. So I spoke to the two of them, and um, Jack's father and Jack were not in any great hurry at that particular time to make their mind up. Fine, absolutely. 
I left it entirely up to them. Entirely up to them. Now, at the end of it all, if Jack pulls out of the under-21 and wants to concentrate in this club football, good luck to him. Good luck to him. So, if... And I can understand Roy's not going to be... Uh, he's not going to be running around there um, asking Jack Grealish's father every single day, has he made his mind up? Let them decide themselves. But the, the reference, which is, is, is quite clear... Uh, unfortunately, a lot will be coming. Unfortunately, a lot will be coming from Jack's dad. Knowing his dad, we could be waiting a bloody long while. Like, it's, it's it's not a pleasant thing to say. And what, what do you mean? He's, he's 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 made the point, has he not? Well, I'm not sure what the point is, to be honest. Yeah. And okay, what do you question. want me to say? Exactly. Well, seriously, what do you want me to go on and do? So a little bit of touchiness there. Uh, yeah, I mean it was it was an awkward exchange, I'd say. Um, you know, and and, I'm, and I think Martin O'Neill probably was sitting there going, "Why are you trying to pick at the scab of this thing? You know what I mean? Why are you this? This is what we're talking about here. You know, this is a this is an example of uh, trying to make trouble. You know, then again, he he put it out there. You know what I mean? That's 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 what happened. That, that this is the kind of uh, the cost of speaking yeah, but the way that Roy Keane speaks. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. It's, uh, it was such a short quote on such a short... I think it's different from the Everton and story. It, I don't think it was... He was in my, it was, in my opinion, yeah. at least half, half a joke. I think the Everton one is, is well worth pursuing... Uh, I'm not so. I'm not so sure about the Greenish thing. It, it clearly, you know, you can almost you can you can read whatever you want into it, but what. It, it doesn't sound like anything particularly uh, particularly serious there, but you were trying to ask him about Robbie. Yeah, and because Robbie Keane had said uh, the night of the match, after the match, some interesting things I thought to Stephen Doyle, where he some quite unguarded. He'd spoken in quite unguarded way about, look, you know, I'm not a I'm not Niall Quinn, I'm not Shane Long, I'm not a lone centre forward type. I'm five foot ten. It's not my game. They're better at that kind of thing than me. Um, if you want to play two up front, try and score goals, and then that's my game. Uh, so I said, look, this is what he said. But we did play two up front, so what was what was the rationale behind leaving him out? And O'Neill just said, look, I don't have to explain every decision. You know, I take responsibility for the result. You know, we lost, it's my fault, but I'm not going to sit here telling you why I did everything I did. And I said, fine, but I'm only asking about this because it's a significant decision because he hasn't missed the game that he's been available for for 13 years. And O'Neill just kind of said, quite, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Great, great research by you. He didn't, he didn't, I mean, he didn't throw that in. No, he just stopped. It was, it was, it was literally, it was literally just a kind of a curt nod. It was like, mm. uh, so obviously he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna talk about that. I mean, I did think we haven't really talked about the game much. That the Walters long strike force is not one I hope to see again <laughs> because you've got two quite similar players, right? L- lads who, who to use Steve Sutton's phrase, run the channel as well. Yeah, exactly. And you've got big, you, you've got strong guys who are good at fighting against defenders. You know, they're not going to be pushed over by defenders. They're not going to be dominated physically. Technically, I think Walters is maybe a little bit better than Long. Um, Long is obviously a lot quicker than Walters. Um, I think Walters is, is a little bit too slow. Um, you know, the, he doesn't really have any ability to, to play the two of them together. I think either you're looking for, 
you know, I mean, I, I could see Long working with a player like Hulahan who's able to put him through, who's able to play the ball in such a way that Long is able to get a run through the defence, which Walters isn't often going to do. I mean, we had two, I think, two similar players. They were too similar. And I mean, the, the kind of football we were playing with the two in midfield against Scotland's three, I mean, how long has this been a thing? You know, why is it Scotland can play three in midfield and we can't? <laughs> the, why, why do we play Division two tactics against Division two defenders? Yeah. Grant Hanley is there thinking, this is great. That's, well, that's the big issue, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it depends who you're playing. If you're looking going, well, they're actually a bit... If you're playing against Barcelona... Mm. If, if the public guard were playing against Barcelona, I probably would recommend putting two big lads up top and landing some high balls Might on as them. Well. Eight <laughs> lads in defence, two big guys up front, and but know. against Scotland, it's it's yeah, this is but this is literally exactly how I'm not going to claim to see too much championship football in recent years. But this is what most of these defenders are happy to do week in. Absolutely, what most defenders full stop actually are happier doing mm. if there's any size about them is just banging balls away all day long. And that was the way it was all, and we we've never really, we never really got anywhere. It wasn't like as though. Um, we we just had no control. We we weren't. There was no no quality balls played up to these guys at all. I mean, I, it sounds like I'm really having a go at Walters and Long. I mean, I, don't, I I do hope they don't play together again for Ireland. I'm not saying I don't mean that they're good, not good players. I I just mean I don't think they're a good partnership. Um, and that there's no support coming from midfield no in that support. formation. We're not getting any. So they're not going to get any balls threaded through. And in fairness, both of them did. It's not just long balls. It's balls around. It's balls around the side. It's, it's stuff. And I thought Long actually started the game quite well. First 10, mm. 15 minutes could nice, have been a red card. A nice bit this. of link up play. There was mm. that moment there where he could have got a player a red card. But after that, there was very little. There was very little coming from anyone else. It was the long mm. balls up to them and the defenders. It's not that necessarily. I think Robbie Keane would have made a huge amount of difference. But you know, again, it's 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 this kind of quite crude tactics. Every time the ball was up with Long or Walters, it seemed to be at least five feet off the ground, and they're they're kind of they've got a defender behind them. They're struggling to position themselves and trying to control an awkward ball. Whereas when Scotland were attacking, you had Naismith getting the ball on the ground on the ground outside the box. Guys running ahead of him. You know, you had Maloney getting the ball facing towards Ireland's goal, able in a position to do something with it. They usually didn't. But at least they had the option. They had the they had the possibility. Whereas Long and Walters created nothing. But Ken, we're but in fairness s- to them, they're they're you know they're fighting for really poor quality balls all the time. We're sitting here talking about one single tiny game of football when the entire future of the sport is at stake at the moment. What's going on with FIFA? I just want to mention one other thing. One other thing uh, on the, on that before we get to FIFA, which is the uh, which is which is John O'Shea. Just we were, we were mentioning the fact that Roy Keane has this brilliant way of speaking to the media, which oftentimes there is a price to come with it because he says things which, you know, like, well, what about this thing he said about Jack Grealish's dad? You know what I mean? Um, John O'Shea is never going to have this problem. Not unless he chooses to. The, the only time I can remember John O'Shea sort of losing his temper in any way in, in any press thing that I've seen him doing was when I asked him after the Italy game in Bari in 2009 in, in which he'd got an elbow in the head uh, and, and cut above the eye. You know what? So what happened to your eye? And I, I, my thinking in saying this was to get him to explain the incident with I think Pazzini, but he just stared at me as though I was a, you know like a cabbage and was like, "What do you mean? What happened to my eye? Can you not see what happened to it?" And I thought, "Well, no. I mean, I mean, like, can't can't you just like talk us through what happened?" Um, that's the only time I've ever seen him vaguely lose his cool. Today he's sitting there next to Martin O'Neill, who was again just a little bit annoyed by his constant stuff. Um, and then asked a series of questions. Uh, the first one of which was, John, have you ever had any issues with your club manager not wanting you to play international games? This is a guy who played for Alex Ferguson for you know, more than a decade. I would imagine the answer, truthful answer to this is yes. 
No, never had any issues. <laughs> Does it get on your nerves that we sit here talking about Roy Keane all the time? No, it's brilliant having him on board. What does he bring when he's on the training field? Well, he's got experience. He's played such a high level, such passion. Great to have on the training field. Uh, are these so-called distractions good for the players? They don't bother us one bit. Do they maybe take the focus off you a little bit? I, we don't really see it either way. Um, it's more so yourselves, really. So it was just literally a series of almost one and two sentence replies. Nicely done. And bat, 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 straight, straight, straight. The ball drops off the bat each time. You always hope that a player is going to say something explosive or, or insightful. And John O'Shea, I think, is actually a very interesting talker. I always, I always like hearing him speak, but he's probably played it right there. I think he's played, pl- played the game correctly from his point Not of view. much I can uh, So just quickly on FIFA, um, is everyone going to be boycotting the next, world, next few World Cups? Well, this is the... Uh, this is, the, this is the question. I mean, could UEFA go it alone? Could UEFA say, you know what, we're actually tired of this now? I mean, without UEFA, FIFA don't have much of a of a World Football Association, really, do they? Um, what is the reason? Is there any reason why these guys should continue to run football if they can't do it um, in in a in a respectable way, in a, in a transparent way? Uh, I mean, we were talking last week about how this ethics report um, into the Qatar World Cup had essentially been disowned. The summary of the report, which was published by, uh, written by a German judge, published on the FIFA website, had been immediately disowned by the author of the report, a much longer document. He said, hang on a second, this, is, this isn't what I wrote, this isn't what I put. Why, you know, so he's now appealing against that. Um, uh, the, uh, Dr. Reinhard Raubal, um, the big shot in German football, is saying that uh, as a solution, two things must happen. He says, this is shaking the foundations of FIFA in a way I've never experienced before. Two things must happen. Not only must the decision of the Ethics Committee be published, but Mr. Garcia's Bill of Indictment too, so it becomes clear what the charges are and how they were judged. The areas that were not evaluated in the report and whether that was justified should be published. It must be be made public. It's the only way FIFA can deal with the complete loss of credibility. I mean, the the credibility issue is massive. You, You can't have a big report into corruption which and then report that the report says everything was fine and then have the guy it, it, it's staggering and in all it's the just... in all in all these sort of scandals and and in how they're dealt with by governing bodies which is usually badly or often mm. badly you, you think of the UCI around Lance Armstrong being a classic case and this could be the worst ever this the, the, well UCI was pretty bad in that they they uh, initially they um expelled Lance Armstrong from cycling they set up a Truth and uh, Reconciliation Committee. Was that what it was called? They set up a body anyway of fairly heavy hitters and very ethical people to go and look into this and then didn't give... And they said, oh, yeah, this is great. I mean, this is going to be totally independent. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to give them the, the free reign out to fix everything. And they just didn't really um, play ball with them, didn't give them the power. There was a load of issues and ultimately that was disbanded. So they, they set up their commission and said, this is going to be... And then the commission was disbanded. But this is... Worse again. This is, uh, yeah, no, it's there. It's, this is this is what he said, and it's, it turns out it's not what he said at it's all. Not, well, according to him, it's not what he said. We don't know what he said. FIFA say, well, we can't show you that. I mean, in terms of the summary report, it was interesting to see that you know they they obviously trashed the English, um, who who FIFA really seemed to view as the as fly in the ointment. Jeff, if it wasn't for the England and its stupid independent media, um, a lot of this stuff wouldn't even be getting talked about. Um, but the Russian bit was probably the funniest. I mean. You know, so so uh, Michael Garcia, who by the way now can't go into Russia, he's on a banned list. Uh, it was like a they banned 
You know, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of exchanging sanctions with the United States recently, do with the Ukraine thing. And the, the Russians published the list of people who couldn't come into Russia anymore. And it was basically a bunch of spies and Michael Garcia. <laughs> Just talked to him. Yeah, we don't want this guy back either. We're sick of that guy. But, you know, he was over in Russia uh, trying to find out what, what went on here. And they were like, oh, you want to find out what went on at that World Cup bid? Actually, the funny thing is, when, when we were working on the bid, we were using, we leased the computers. Do you know we didn't buy the computers for that? We actually leased them from this company. So you're going to have to ask, because like, we, we've sent them back to the company. They've all been sent back. And, and, and he's like, oh, all right, okay. Call up the company. He was like, oh, the computers, oh, the ones that, that were leased by the Russia were 2018. Yeah, they've actually all been destroyed. They've all been uh, destroyed, those computers. They were, they were at day. We were, you know, it was a planned, uh, you know. So, okay, no, no evidence. Okay, well, what about your emails? Oh, yeah, well, we actually had a bunch of Gmail accounts for that, but does it, hey, where do we leave the password for the Gmail? Does anyone, does anyone remember where we put the Gmail passwords? Does anyone remember what those passwords So they can't get access to the Gmail either. It's hard to remember passwords. It's unbelievable. So, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, we, we sent an email to Google about that a while ago. I mean, you, know, you know what Google are like. I mean, we haven't, we haven't heard back. It's probably too busy making money, you know, the way it is. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so they conclude there was not, a, no, not enough evidence to support any suggestion of any wrongdoing. And you think, well, I'm not really surprised there was no evidence. That doesn't surprise me at all. Is that, is, is that a good enough answer? I'm not sure. But it's something maybe to keep in mind. Just dispose of your computer, uh, somehow lose the password to your Gmail, and the investigation into your affairs may it turn out to be somewhat toothless. That's the end of Ken Erdy's report on sport. All right, that's, that's good manners. players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no 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 I've seen none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> and we want to win football matches there's nothing to tame you know some sort of animal you know what I mean um, you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like what a Teresa you know he's um, I don't know and we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. Let's head to Glasgow to chat to Tom English. Tom, as an Irishman in Glasgow, how was your own experience of Friday night? Um, well, it was, it was kind of kind of strange, actually. Uh, I wasn't quite sure who to uh, who to cheer for. Um, uh, Ireland got my got my heart in the end, but. I'm, I'm kind of glad, uh, glad to see Scotland not win the game. I'm glad to see good news in Scottish football. Um, I think we've had some good news in Irish Irish football, making Euro championships and stuff. Scotland have had have had nothing to cheer for for 16 years in, as regards the national team. I don't begrudge them their um, their advancement under Gordon Strachan. It is quite nice to witness it actually. Um, a lot of their reaction to the game, they're they're really enthused the Scottish fans by hearing Irish people, Irish journalists complimenting their flair players, the Maloney's, the Naismiths, these guys, the Anyas, because this for for as long as I've been in Scotland, this has been a running debate about where are all the flair Scottish players gone. They've got a few back now and they're they're as a nation, as a footballing nation, they're feeling a lot better about themselves than they have have done for sixteen years. 
Yeah, and I mean, there's the argument that Ireland have a few of those players as well. Unfortunately, maybe McGeady was the only one on the on the pitch uh, the other night. But uh, the how has it's it's not so much even just about having the flair players. It's about giving them an opportunity to play, and particularly in a game like that. I mean, all the debate over here it has been about why it was that Ireland seemed to get sucked into the occasion. Both teams are going in with the sort of fairly full-blooded tackles, but Scotland seemed to have a philosophy where they allowed their players to play. Is that down to the manager mostly? I, I think it is, yeah. I mean, and you're right. I was I was really disappointed with the way Ireland played. I thought they were pretty one-dimensional. I was, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was expecting more more than that from them. Uh, Scotland have tried under Gordon Strachan. Uh, they have tried to play football. You know, I, I I didn't doubt them for a second that they'd be up for a battle because there's plenty in there with Mulgrew and Scott Brown and one or two others. They'll fight all day. But Strachan has encouraged them to play. Now, this is when he took over from Craig Levine. He had a seismic job on his hands because all of those players were were beaten, beaten up, you know, physically, mentally. They, their previous coach Levine kind of talked down to them, did made them believe that they weren't much good. Very negative manager, extremely negative manager. Strachan's completely the opposite. He's come in and he's told them, look. You're good enough. I believe in you to play. I want you to play. And it was interesting in that even, you know, with 15 minutes to go, the crowd was getting a bit jumpy. Our, Scotland had to win the game. Scotland kept, they kept playing. They kept trying to play. Um, and that is very much the, the Gordon Strachan philosophy. Yeah, I mean, were you concerned by what you saw of the Martin O'Neill philosophy? I mean, I know you're not you're not on the Ireland international beat, but you did get a chance to see it up close. And were you... Um, um, worried to see Ireland's comparatively primitive skills? Uh, I was, Ken. I mean, I was expecting more from McGeady. I was expecting more from Seamus Coleman. I was expecting more from the team. Now, credit striking. I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it's a coincidence that Scotland, Ireland's two probably most creative players, Coleman and McGeady, were played out of the game. I think Scotland had a plan for those two guys. And I think Robertson and Anya were very, very good down the same side of the pitch as Coleman, keeping him quiet. But I just thought it, it, it was a battle. Now, I, I, I would say that Scotland started the kicking with, uh, with Grant Hanley when he, when he, um, when he kicked Shane Long. Uh, but certainly Ireland looks more than happy to get embroiled in a, in, in, a, in a battle. And I just I expected a bit more from them. You know, it, it, it reminded me, actually, as the match was going on, Ken, it reminded me a little bit of... Scotland under Craig Levine and Scotland under Craig Levine Levine said look we're not great players but we'll be committed and we'll be hard and we'll be tough to beat and he maintained that mantra right into the end even after after people were saying to him look I th- we think these guys are better than you think they are but that was a bit redolent that Irish performance was a bit redolent of, of, of Scotland under Levine where the players were told right you play in a certain way because you're not really good enough to play attacking football. Do you think that Scotland's uh, renaissance has got anything to teach? Or, like, is there anything we can yeah. actually learn from it? Or is it simply a question of waiting until some good players like Naismith or Maloney or Ananya come along and, and are wearing a green jersey? I, I, think, it, I think it does. I mean, not, most of these guys were around under Craig Levine. Anya has been is a new player. Robertson, the fullback, is a few player. But most of the others... Uh, have been have been have been there for for a long time. I think 
Strachan has, has given them the license to play. The squad is a really happy squad. Now, they'll all tell you this, Raw, you know, the buzz, there's a buzz about the place, that, that terrible cliche. But spending time in and around them, as, as I have done over the last year or so, and talking to there is a genuine upbeat. There's a, I was watched them training on last Tuesday. I watched the training session last Tuesday um, in, uh, in Glasgow. And the amount of laughing and joking was, was significant. I mean, it, this is a happy group of players. And I don't know if... I don't know. I mean, you'd be better, you guys would be better judges, a judge of this than, than me. But maybe the Irish thing is just too serious, too intense. Scotland aren't intense. They are, maybe they're intense when they need to be, but there's an awful lot of jocularity about there. There's, a, there's an awful lot of humour knocking around. Strachan is a funny guy when he wants to be funny, and he knows when to turn it on and when to turn it off. They're a very contented group of footballers. The, uh, I'm not sure how funny... Uh, well, Roy Hodgson has tried to make a few jokes in his time with the England squad. They haven't always gone down well, but they're next up. And this is... It's a funny one. I saw Strachan uh, speaking about a week or so ago saying, listen... Whatever about the England game, the, the Irish game is everyone's so excited about it that the England game has gone on the back burner. But it's there now, and coming into the, this must be just bonus territory now. This game is at Celtic Park against England, having just beaten Ireland and flying in the group. This is a, a pretty heady night, I'd say, ahead for Scottish, Scottish fans again. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's weird, you know. All the, all the Scottish journalists, Scottish fans who've been around here a lot longer than than myself said so they had. There has never been such a such a kind of quiet build up to a Scotland-England match, ever. I mean, they've been playing each other for 142 years, and they say this is the quietest, the most low-key uh, build-up to any game because everyone was just focused um, on, on Ireland. Uh, but that said, there's 50,000 tickets already sold. Um, it's the first time England have played in Scotland in 15 years. It's beginning to crank up now on several fronts, the excitement of playing against England, but also there's been reports today about Scottish police uh, being informed that the known hooligans are on their way up north. So now all of those dimensions now are beginning to slot into place. And I think Scotland have moved on uh, from Ireland and are now focused on, on, on England on, on several fronts, not all football fronts, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, are, will, will they win it, though, on the pitch, do you think? Uh, I, 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 think they, I think they will, you know. I mean, now, I, there, there will be a much-changed Scotland team uh, some of the some of the players who haven't been featuring will come in. Uh, I still think uh, there's a good group there, and I think they could get the job done against England at Celtic Park with that atmosphere. Um, I think they should be they should be good enough. All right, Tom, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Cheers, lads. What about that idea that maybe Ireland are too intense? They're all having a lot of fun in Scotland under Gordon Strachan, and maybe we're a little bit too. We seem to be. Uh, this happens when you lose. It, it you, you figure maybe it's all too serious. Um, and, but when you win, it seems like the happiest. We look pretty happy when we were scoring that goal against Germany, for example. I think so. I, think, I wouldn't say our team's that serious. I mean, I, I'm not sure. He'd be a big joker. Glenn Whelan, apparently, he's a big practical joker, isn't he? Glenn Whelan. Well, he is at Stoke anyway. He goes around pouring paint on people's cars. Robbie's gone past the practical I don't think joking Glenn, stage of this stage. Yeah, Robbie's the elder. He's the eminence Greece now. You can see him just sitting there, arms folded, when these things are happening on oh, now. He's like Eamon de Valera in when he was in the Oris. <laughs> You know, um, that's where Robbie Keane's at now. I'm sure he's still a little bit like that. Glenn Whelan, supposedly, at Stoke. I mean, I remember he had a, he had a big row with Kenwin Jones because Kenwin Jones didn't find one of his numerous practical jokes funny. What was it? Can you remember? I think he poured paint all over Kenwin Jones's car. Brilliant. See, that's, that's, that's a practical joke. Yeah. See, it's not I so... I mean, the, the real, real 
damage, you know. To, yeah, you know. Yeah, the, I mean, it's not so, but it does inflict <laughs> a lot of financial damage on uh, an object belonging to one of your teammates. That's really what you want to do. As a yeah, but uh, I just I would say that the one um, one thing about uh, yeah, Kevin Jones then smashed up uh, Glenn Whelan's car, so it was a case of uh, well. ho ho ho. Uh, there was a pig's head left in Kenwin Jones's locker as well at Stoke. We, I mean, I don't know if they ever got to the bottom of that one or who, or who did that one. But you know, pig's head in the locker. Is no, I don't. Those, I think they've gone too far at that point. Lord of the Flies or whatever it wouldn't be great. But uh, it, the one really intense thing about the stadium, about the game, was the stadium. And the, I mean, the, the flower of Scotland. I was looking forward to hearing that, but actually, it was a shambles. I mean, that nobody, everyone started singing at different times. It was a, it was a chaos. It was like a really bad school orchestra version of Flower of Scotland. But when they were singing it during the game, it was hair raising, you know. And then the goal, the scream for the goal was unlike anything I've heard before because I haven't been at a big Scottish stadium when a goal goes in, and it's a different sound. It's a different vowel sound. They have an A sound, not a yeah. It's a yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a it's an A. a really, like uh, uh, it was. I mean, it, it'll stick in my memory. Yeah. I think for a long time. But yeah, I mean, a big moment for them, as you can see from the reaction of their players. Grant Wall, Sports Illustrated, joins us now ahead of our friend against the USA tomorrow night. Grant, just post World Cup after a fairly successful campaign for Jurgen Klinsmann, he has this long term contract in place. So is he bringing you guys in wholesale, or just slowly adding a few new players who we'll see at the Aviva tomorrow? Well, I think they want to build on the World Cup campaign. There certainly are some guys who were part of that, big parts of that, who will be a big part of this next four-year cycle. Guys like Quint Dempsey, the captain, who I think will stick around. Uh, same for Jermaine Jones, uh, even though both those guys are in their 30s. Michael Bradley, a bit younger, uh, at 27. Um, you know, and a guy like Josie Altador, who just turned 25. But there are several young players who are starting to emerge, and clearly Jurgen Klinsmann uh, is pinning some hope on these young players to emerge even more over the next couple of years. Um, you know, he had some luck uh, at the World Cup with the three youngest players on the U.S. team uh, you know, doing well, uh, having good moments. Uh, John Brooks scored a goal to, to beat Ghana. Um, Julian Green scored a goal in extra time against Belgium in the round of 16. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin had a uh, a good tournament and a couple of different stints and ended up signing with Tottenham. So uh, there's even some other guys who are with his team now in, uh, in Ireland. Uh, keep an eye on a guy like Rubio Rubin, who's an 18-year-old uh, who had a good game starting the other day against Colombia, uh, playing for Utrecht in Holland. I remember watching a couple of the United States games at the World Cup, and I think I'm right in saying that they were the team that covered more ground than anyone else. Uh, on average, they obviously didn't play as many games as... Uh, as Germany, is that the kind of style that Jurgen Klinsmann is trying to bring in? Is that is was that a deliberate sort of uh, this is what we're going to do? This is part of our game plan, or or a fact, or just a, a result of the fact that they were often chasing the ball in those matches? I think it is probably a little more of chasing the ball, and also maybe a traditional sort of U.S. approach, uh, which is just a very high work rate, maybe not always the most efficient way of playing. Um, but, you know, I don't want to totally denigrate the, that you know, way of playing. I think there are some positives that come with the way the U.S. plays at the World Cup. They do seem to uh, pretty often uh, perform beyond the sum of their parts. Uh, when you look at the clubs where the U.S. players play, you wouldn't necessarily think this would be a team that pretty frequently gets out of the group stage at the World Cup, especially from a difficult group like they had this year. But that said, Jurgen Klinsmann, from the start, 
since 2011 has made public promises of taking the U.S. to a new level when it comes to technical ability, uh, having more concession. Uh, and those are things that are not easy to achieve in a short amount of time. And uh, he's had at times some success, but there's a long ways to go in that area. Well, that's, I mean, the question of how you do that is, is an interesting one because, I mean, you, you mentioned there that the United States does have good young players coming through. Another approach that Kinsman has tried, which is something that the national team manager here um, always tries, whoever he is, is, is finding players who were born abroad who are eligible to represent the country uh, through ancestry. I wondered, is that a controversial issue in uh, in United States soccer? I mean, it's it can be uh, in Ireland, although you, usually we're, we're pretty grateful to get good players uh, no matter where they were born. Yeah, I think there's elements of all of that with the U.S. Uh, I think people do look at inside the U.S. at the country as, you know, we're a combination of all these different nationalities of people who come to our country. And, and many of these players are German-American, not all of them, uh, but they're the kids of... Uh, Know, servicemen in most cases who went to Germany and, and uh, got together with a German woman. Uh, some of whom are still together, some of whom aren't. But uh, certainly, I don't think anyone in their right mind would say that the the son of a, a military serviceman is somehow less American just because he happened to grow up in Germany. I think one legitimate topic to talk about, though, is what does that say about the development of players on U.S. soil if uh, you know, MLS and, and U.S. soccer claim to be doing, you know, making all these advancements in player development, and yet the national team coach is opting for players who are developed outside the United States uh, in pretty big numbers at this point. And, and some of these players have been useful, uh, uh, like Jermaine Jones, like John Brooks, like Julian Green. So, you know, I, I think they're welcomed. Uh, but it certainly does say something about American youth development. It's funny the, that there doesn't seem to be the issue that there is here. And we've had a lot of, well, we had a lot of success, particularly in the early 1990s and late 1980s, with players born in England, Scotland, elsewhere, qualified for Ireland, oftentimes with tenuous enough links or links that they might not even been particularly aware of themselves until uh, the point that they were offered the chance to play for Ireland. And that's where it kind of seems to. Uh, stick in people's craws sometimes when a player uh, is him humming and hawing over whether or not he's actually going to declare for Ireland. He's waiting to see usually whether he'll get into the English team and then makes a decision. If he doesn't get in, well, it might be a good career move to play international football, so I'll do it with Ireland because I've got a granny there. The situation described is a little bit different, I suppose, in that a lot of these people might be uh, German or might have been born in Germany and they're realistically probably not going get to in, get in there anyway. Maybe that is kind of similar to the situation with Ireland and England. Yeah, I think there are some similarities. Uh, I do think it was uh, an achievement for Jurgen Klinsmann to get Julian Green to choose to play for the United States because here's a guy who's 18 years old who is is owned by Bayern Munich, even though he's on loan at Hamburg right now, and uh, you know certainly had the potential to play for the German senior team down the road. Obviously, that's a harder team to break into than the U.S. team. Uh, and he's got a ways to go to break into the U.S. team full-time, for that matter, but... Um, you know, he made the choice to, to go with the States. And we are starting to see that a little more where it's not just players who have already sort of been ruled out of the picture with the German senior national team or some other national team. Um, and there's several Mexican-Americans, even an Icelandic-American 
uh, who you know have chosen to play for the U.S. And, and part of that has to do, I think, with Klinsman's star power and his ability to convince them to play for the state. Just a couple of things that I saw recently, um, Grant. One of them was the fact that the um, MLS commissioner, Don Garber, had a big pop at Jurgen Klinsmann last month over the fact that Landon Donovan was, uh, as everybody knows, omitted from the United States squad to go to Brazil. Uh, he said some really very harsh things. I, I mean, I know this has played out, so I want to know how it played out. Uh, incredibly damaging to our league, personally infuriating. Landon should have been in Brazil. His treatment was inexcusable. Uh, to think that we're not aligned with our national team coach is frustrating as hell. Um, sounds like a, a fairly, uh, like they had a bit of a falling out there. I wonder how, has everyone kissed and made up after this? Yeah, for the most part, you know, it, it was a strange outburst where Garber, the MLS commissioner, calls a teleconference to respond specifically to some of the things Klinsman had said the previous week about Michael Bradley and, and Clint Dempsey going back to MLS for big paydays, but Klinsman feeling like if those guys could still play in a top European league, that they should have done that, that it's going to hurt their uh, their game by by going back to MLS and, and Garber really took offense to that and and mentioned the Donovan stuff as well and you know I think it was over the top and felt to me a little bit like pro wrestling sometimes does in the U.S. just with the venom of what Garber was saying I was kind of laughing for for large parts of the teleconference but uh, you know I, I do think that you see this tension developing because. Uh, Klinsman thinks that right now a player, a U.S. player, if he can go to Europe and uh, get time there, uh, is in a better spot than one who stays in MLS. And the, the relationship between MLS and the U.S. Soccer Federation is tighter than in than the relationship in most countries between the Federation and the top flight league. And so I think that's another reason why Garber responded the way he did. Uh, Grant, just lastly, Robbie Keane won't be involved in this game, unfortunately for the fixture, but he's gone back to LA. The Galaxy have uh, a playoff game coming up. Now, what we see of Robbie over here is largely based on these YouTube clips that arrive fairly regularly on Monday mornings to us of him waltzing past defenders, chipping in these wonder goals, (laughs) bestriding US soccer like a footballing colossus. Is that accurate? You know what? He's been the best player in the league this year. I just wrote something last week saying that, and I don't think it's even that close of an argument. Uh, He's been fantastic, and, and I think you may be tempted to say, well, what's wrong with the defending in MLS? But actually, the defending in MLS is not that bad. And I think Robbie Keane has just been terrific this season in Los Angeles. It's been a pleasure to watch him uh, play every week for a team that is a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I have a lot of admiration for the way he's come over to to play at this high a level because he could have just come for the money and, and not really... Uh, worried too much or cared too much but clearly he cares yeah Grant Wall listen enjoy the game and uh, good to talk to you as always thanks a million my pleasure guys take care I'll be interested in this game tomorrow night well it's a funny one it's a post qualification friendly so it's never I've got to be honest those matches usually don't get my juices flowing too quickly no. but in the sense of the type of team we're playing against here at the USA they're quite um, similar to us quite similar to well we, we like to think that anyway oh, they are no, I'm ta- I'm, this is what I told you in the World Cup they're the most similar to Ireland team from the last World Cup you in know, what way in particular do you see the, the lack of creativity um, the almost game attitude yeah you know sort of uh, although in fairness <clears throat> tactically they're more sophisticated than us you won't get the United States playing 
four four two and being overrun in midfield. No, but they did seem to me to have an almost uh, an insane willingness. They were quite similar to Ireland under Trapattoni, a willingness to give the ball away practically, Ugh. and then an incredible heart to go chasing after it. Yeah, Mike Bradley. A little bit further. Yeah, Michael Bradley. I mean, he. Who, who, who has looked a decent player in previous tournaments was running a lot. He ran more than any player in the tournament, I think. Uh, yeah, actually, after I, his own I, stray passes. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, he ran more. Given that he only played four matches, uh, he he was top anyway after the after the second round when the United States were eliminated. On average, maybe. Then, and yeah. it and it was like, yeah, I mean, but again, the guy's got an amazing heart. Yeah, and, and they've all, and they're, they're athletic, strong, those kind of things. Yeah, which 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 you could say was a clear area of superiority that they had over us because we're not that big anymore. No, we you know we we don't really have uh, real powerhouse players. Too many of them in our team at the moment. I mean, I think we've got some decent footballers, but yeah, um, the the United States are in a way a kind of an example to us of 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 where we might you know maybe we too could get to the second round of the World Cup and then look at lose an extra time against Belgium. I think we'd all take that uh, at this stage. If you haven't had enough Ireland football chat on this podcast, we talked in depth about the Roy Keane press conference in our earlier show. And Matt Williams and Jerry Thorny were in good form ahead of Ireland against Australia in the rugby next weekend. You can check out all the other Irish Times shows, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. Um, yeah, we lost to Scotland, unfortunately, again. Yeah, that's that's the conclusion um, of our show today. The conclusion of our show is we're <laughs> probably not going to qualify for Euro 2016. We'll talk to you soon. Take care on that note. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 